Welcome, everybody, to the first podcast for Homegrown, an ode to Sugar Bowl Sam. My first guest on this podcast is Christopher Meeks, who is a facilities and housing specialist for the Housing Opportunity Development Corporation in, this is Skokie, Illinois, correct? Or is it all throughout Chicago? Well, actually, so our home office is located in Skokie now. Um, and our focus is primarily the northern suburbs of Chicago. Okay. So because you are my first guest and you earned it because you are one of three people who are responsible for me being a homeowner, because you are my first guest, I want to tell the listeners a little background about what made me decide to start the Homegrown Medium publication. Uh, my grandfather, whose name is Sam, hence the reason the podcast is called an Ode to Sugar Bowl Sam. My grandfather was a homeowner. While I was growing up, he would constantly ask me, do you want my home? Do you want my home? He, he wanted me to leave him. He wanted to leave me his home. I said no repeatedly. I had absolutely no interest in home ownership. I didn't want to pay taxes. I didn't want to pay a mortgage. It was extremely overwhelming for me. He asked me this from my teenage years all the way up until he died at the age of 95. He was determined to leave me this home. I was his caregiver. I was with him on the day he passed away. And I still said no. I had no interest in having a home. Fast forward past that, uh, maybe a year later, I become a homeowner. At the time, I didn't realize that he wanted to leave me. All he kept saying was, the mortgage is paid off. All you have to do is pay the taxes. To me, I thought that was billions and billions of dollars. I did not realize that he was basically handing me a home. Taxes are lightweight compared to a mortgage. You be paying a mortgage forever. So it was interesting to me because... What ended up, I ended up deciding to own a home for the most superficial reason in the entire world. My parents owned a home, my grandfather owned a home, a friend of mine who just had, who had a son owned a home in her early twenties. I said, I didn't own a home because I didn't want kids. So I didn't see myself having a big family. I thought it was weird that she had a home. My parents had a home, but I was like, I'm not married. Why do I need a home? I'm not married. And then uh, what my I had other people who I knew own homes and it just wasn't, I didn't think that I wanted to live in Chicago forever. And I thought that buying a home was going to put me permanently in Chicago. At one point I wanted to live in New York. At another point I had gone to Hawaii twice, Maui and Honolulu. And I seriously considered living in Hawaii. What ended up making me buy a home was some dude that I dated for maybe two months. It's not even a good story. <laughs> what happened? Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the most superficial reason ever. But what happened was he played ball overseas. He played basketball overseas. And when he started playing basketball professionally, the first thing he did was buy property. Because he just said a basketball career won't last long. And I know that I need something. I need a backup plan. So he bought an apartment and then just let his family moved in. And for whatever reason, even though my grandfather, who's been in my life my entire life, um, more than three decades, my parents made me, my my best childhood friend, we had been friends for two decades, for whatever reason it didn't click with them, 
but this random guy who played ball, I was in. Now, <laughs> now I wanted a home. <laughs> so I, I, I looked in the home ownership and a coworker of mine who was about eight years younger than me. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he also was trying to buy a home at the same time. We had this dumb competition where we both were racing to close first. So one superficial reason is the guy I was dating. The other one is my competition with the coworker. Fast forward three years later, I'm not only a homeowner, I've been the condo association president and I'm now the condo association treasurer. You would never think that somebody who is so anti-home would be so team home. My, so, so my, that was my story on how I got into it, but I want to know your story in home ownership. Sure, sure. Um, thank you for for giving me the privilege of being the first podcast guest. I'm I'm so flattered and so surprised. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm very glad that our, our paths crossed and, and that you remembered me. So thank you. A hundred percent. Um, um, it's for me. Um, I was in the industry, in the mortgage servicing industry, for about 10 years before I ever became a counselor. And so in the mortgage servicing side of it, I was working with people who had already bought homes, they had already signed their documents. And I started that in, I want to say like 2002. Um, And it was just, at first it was humongous it was it was terrific i mean everything was great because at that time the mortgage industry was doing really well uh and so people were buying homes and refinancing left and right day after day and everybody was happy and and i i knew nothing about the industry but i I was a fast learner and so i was learning something every single day and it was so tangible. It was something that I felt like, yeah, I I really need to know this, you know, because at that time I didn't own a home. And so it was a terrific experience. And then when the market crashed, so 2008, Mm -hmm. 9, 10, it was not great anymore. Um, Every day was a grind because uh, the mortgage industry kind of turned on its ear. And um, that's when I first started to see how people really didn't know what they were doing. They were just happy to, to somebody said, yes, you can buy a home and the banks were throwing money at people uh, as long as they had a pulse. And it was just, it was just really eye opening because people were coming in every day and calling every day and they would, they were sitting down and they wanted to, they wanted now to know about the process they had already gone through and they wanted to, talk about the papers that they had already signed and 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 it was it was it was really frustrating and heartbreaking for me because there's only a certain level of help that I could give them because it was too late essentially they would already agreed to the terms of the mortgage company right and so uh in 2011 2010 no 2011 um, my wife and I were in the process of buying a home through uh, the Live Evanston program, um, which is no longer in existence. But we were in the process, and one of the requirements was to come through uh, first-time home buyer counseling. And I was like, "Yeah, right. No, uh, I work in the industry. My wife works in the industry. 
yeah, no, I don't need counseling. And they were like, okay, if you don't have it, you can't do programs. So I'm mm. like, you know what? Fine. I'll go through it. Fine. And I went through it. And even though I had been in the industry at that time for almost 10 years, I was still learning something. So I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. So we, we bought the home. We went into it very savvy, which was very refreshing. And, and, and it was, it settled our nerves. And then as fate would have it, the counseling job became available. And um, my wife saw it online. She's like, you know, I think you should apply. And I did. And I got the job. So in May 2012, I came to work for Housing Opportunity Development Corporation as the uh, pre-purchase or first-time home buyer counselor. And that was terrific because now I am able or was able to uh, catch people before they sign their papers. I was actually able to pour into people things that they needed to know and things that I knew firsthand was going to be important, not to mention the, the training materials that they were providing to us. So I, I was in a really good position to explain uh, what people needed to hear going into the process and try to help people to uh, ease their fears and go into it confidently. Um, because for me, being on the servicing side, although it was it was it was terrific at first, it was really, really heartbreaking toward the end of it because um, people were just caught in bad situations and there was nothing I could do about it, even though I was supposed to be there to help. them. Mm -hmm. So coming in as a counselor now, I was empowered. Actually, I was able to say to people, you know. Uh, if you're going to buy a home, you know, think about these sorts of things and never forget that um, your best interests are your best interests. You can't you can't leave it to the, the real estate agent and the loan officer to take care of your best interests. You have to take care of your own best interests and you have to always be mindful of, of affordability uh, and be honest. And, and if now is not the time to buy that's fine because the best time to buy is when it's affordable for you. When you can afford to do it, that's the best time to do it. That, and so, I want to I want to stop you there because that was one of the reasons why you were memorable for me as uh, as a, a homeowner. When I first, because I told you the reason that I wanted to buy a home, one because it seemed it seemed like a profitable investment and it was a great. I thought it was a smart move for the guy I was dating to have a backup. One, he'll always have somewhere to live. And then right. two, he can make it profitable by him buying an entire apartment. Then he has his one unit and now there are a couple others. So that's disposable income for him. And then uh, the the friend of mine who I was competing the clothes on, which is a ridiculous thing to do, but it is what it is. We were a month apart and one of his did not close. I almost beat him. His fell through on the closing end and I almost beat him. And then he got another one before me. But what made me decide to come to you specifically was I was so wrapped up in the idea of being a homeowner and how fun it would be to decorate a home and shopping for a home with a real estate agent and talking to my attorney about bylaws. And I realized I did not know anything 
that my mortgage facilitator was talking about P and I's and taxes and all of these, all this different tech terminology. I never knew what that was. So he's trying to tell me the, the price of escrow payments and P and property insurance and why I need this and why I need that. And it, it was, it was like taking trigonometry again. I don't know how right. in the world I managed to pass trigonometry, but I am not a math person. I am a writer till the day I die. So just talking right. about math was boring as hell to me anyway. And then you add in <laughs> that I didn't know. It wasn't just a matter of being boring. I just felt ignorant because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what to ask him and he couldn't communicate with me. And it became a, it became now I don't, want, I don't want to go so far as say an unhealthy relationship, but it wasn't productive. I can't work right. with somebody to sign on a hundred K deal or, or whatever. Cause I had about three condos that I want, that I was interested in at a time. So the pricing varies. You don't want to sign away your life for 30 plus years on something that you don't understand. Right. And I really could have, what's interesting was the deal that I ended up with did not require me to have mortgage certification initially. But there was a grant that I really wanted to be qualified for, which gave me a few thousand dollars off. The grant, because of the amount I made, I was qualified to I was qualified to buy a home for several years. I just didn't want to. But the grant that I wanted to get a few thousand dollars off strongly recommended that I take a mortgage certification course. And at the time I just thought, well, I don't want to do it at the time. But then talking to my mortgage facilitator, I thought, well, wait a minute. There's no way around this. I don't even know what he's talking about. So right. that's how I ended up coming to you. When you have people come to you for your course, are they usually people who are more like me or people who just want to freshen up what they know? <laughs> uh, actually, um, neither. Oh, okay. <laughs> Most people are, well... I shouldn't say neither okay. because they didn't, they don't come from, to me for the same reasons as you. Nobody totally. should. No, nobody should. And so <laughs> you came to me out of genuine um, inquiry. You really wanted to know what was going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients are coming because they're, they're trying to get the grant money. They don't care what's going on. They're just trying to get to the certificate oh. so they can get to that grant money. Now that's fine. Because you can come in my door like that, but that don't mean you're leaving out my door like that. <laughs> so when I get them, anybody, I'm going to pour something into them. And so a lot of people come to me and they're saying, yeah, um, I'm about a week or two weeks from my closing. And now they're telling me I need to take this home buyer education course. And I just pulled your name off of a list. Can you help me? Sure, sure, sure. Come on in. And so once I get them in and I start to pour this information into them, it, it changes everything because now all of a sudden they've got questions for the loan officer. Mm -hmm. They're going back after the course, looking at the documents that people have sent to them. They're coming back and asking me questions. Well, Chris, well, they said this and this and that, or they're going back to their loan officer and now they, they can speak to the loan officer with clarity mm -hmm. because now they understand the jargon that they're using in the, in the documents. They understand the language that they're talking to them. And so it's refreshing to see the change in a person over two, three days 
uh, of how they just come in and I just need your certificate, sir, to, you know what? I'm really glad I came and thank you for all this information. I'm going to do a lot with this. And so even though people come to me really just for the certificate and not for the education, they do leave with uh, something to kind of help them uh, do this process in the best way possible. What's interesting to me is the course that I took, I believe it was, it was three workshops. It was three rock workshops on three different days. So you said something about them coming a week before they are about to close. And I'm just wondering how are they fitting this much information in? Because when you gave me the information, this was three different workshops. I went home and memorized everything on the page, did all the practice tests, did all of the math. I treated it like I was getting another degree. How are they managing right. to get all that information in, or is it just a matter of passing? Right. Uh, so now with COVID, uh, I've had to kind of tailor the way I do things. Mm-hmm. And so now I've taken all the material because when you came through, it was uh, two, it was three, two hour courses. Now I condense it all down um, to two, three hour courses. Okay. And so yeah. they have to be with me a little bit longer but it's condensed. It's all the same information. And I send out the paperwork to them days ahead of time. Oh, okay. So they have all the material to look over and I encourage them to look it over a, a couple of days before we actually have their session. And then when they come in, they I, the first thing I start with is, do you have any questions? And so if they come in and they have, you know, four or five questions, some of the questions they have related to the materials, some of the questions they have related to documents that they've gotten from their loan officer. So uh, it's condensed now. It's, it's more concentrated, but it's still as effective because I try to get them the, the materials. If not two days, uh, I try to get it to them about two days, uh, maybe three days in some instances ahead of time. So they'll have some time to look it over. Okay. How often... This was one of the the things that triggered me into this podcast. What happened was there's a medium blogger that I love to read. I just think his his content is so engaging. But one of the things he said in one of the articles was about how he didn't he wasn't eligible for the stimulus money because he made too much. And I thought, well, that's a dope problem to have to not be qualified. That means you really rolling in it. But then the very next line was. Uh, something to the, and I'm paraphrasing here, was how dope his apartment was. And that sat with me in a different way because I I couldn't get past it. I was so distracted by that line that I couldn't even read the rest of the article because I kept thinking, if you are at the point where your salary is so out of the park that you no longer qualify for the stimulus on a worldwide health outbreak because you're making that much money, and then you talking to me about having an apartment to make your landlord rich. I feel a way about that. Well, I, I left a comment with him and just said, wait a minute. Why is your name not attached to any kind of property? I'm not saying you have to get the best house on the market or the most tricked out place you can find, but own something. And the, he he liked the comment. He he had no problems with the comment. He thought it was good. He he. I'm assuming he thought it was good. He writes under a pen name, so he can't really respond to me. At least, but I think I know who he is. But <laughs> that's another thing because he always likes my comments as the same person. But he can't comment. But what was interesting was the amount of African American commenters who were completely 
opposed and disagreeing with my comment and talking about, I like being a renter. I love my place. I might not get a place I like. I needed to look this way and feel this way. And we're just so anti-owning. And the irony is I was clearly that person. I was that person with my grandfather for 30 plus years and saying, I don't want to own. I don't know where I want to live. I don't want to deal with home ownership. So I understood where they were coming from because I was them. But the protest they put up, I don't know. It was kind of disheartening for me now that I'm on the other side of it. How do you work with, well, you may not work with this at all because people are coming to you to own a home. How do you work with, or do you work with African-Americans who just are anti-home ownership and what do we need to do differently to help? So the people that I see, I don't see any who are anti, Mm -hmm. but I do get the occasional person who's, who's really on the fence. Um, they kind of think they want to own a home, but they're so comfortable with, with having an apartment and, um, they just don't want to be saddled with the thought of a long-term debt because they think, well, I'm going to be here forever. I'm going to be here for permanent or the thought of what if this place loses value or what if this place loses, uh, maintenance and, and all the other responsibilities that come along with home ownership. And so when I get people like that, I tell them, don't what if yourself out of home ownership, because a lot of the what ifs that you have, they apply on both sides, owning and renting. Um, one of one of my favorite examples is people say, well, well, what if what if I have to pay a plumber to come out and do some work? Mm-hmm. OK, when I was a renter, when we, my wife and I was renting, um, one of my sons, he was really young at the time, like two I think um, he put um, a toothbrush in the toilet and it got flushed. Right. So we didn't know. All we knew was the toilet ended up stopped up. And so we called the landlord because we were renting. He's like, oh, OK. So he said, did you try to plunge? Yeah, we tried to plunge. Didn't work. Nope. He said, OK, I'm going to come over. So he came over. He tried to plunge. Couldn't get it. He's like, OK, that's weird. Maybe it's something in the line. So he calls a plumber. Plumber comes out. He's trying to work with it. He can't get it open. He pulls the toilet up and boom, there's the toothbrush. Mm -hmm. He pulls the toothbrush out. He's like, oh, there's your problem right there. This toothbrush goes in and it's sitting sideways and now it won't allow everything to pass. So here's the problem. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. Thank you. He leaves. The very next day, the landlord calls him and says, hey, uh, so the plumber uh, sent me the bill and he said that the, the problem wasn't in the line. It was actually a toothbrush in the toilet. And so that's not something that I'm going to pay for. So you guys have to pay for that visit. Mm. So I'm like, wow, that's that's nuts. But he was totally right. You know, that wasn't normal wear and tear. It wasn't, you know, a problem that was beyond our control. That was caused by our household. So I say that to say, if this happens in the home that you own, you have to pay the plumber. If this scenario happens, if one of your children puts something in the toilet or something falls in the toilet and you don't see it and you flush it, landlord's not going to pay for the plumber to come out and fix that because when the plumber tells him or her this is what happened, they're going to pass that bill on to you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are fearful that what if I get this place and I lose my job? 
it's the same thing. If you're renting and you lose your job, now what? Right. So the only difference is, is that when you own your home, um, there, there might be a program out there that can help you. In the condition of the country and the world now, of course, if you're renting, there are programs out there that'll, that'll help you now, but it wasn't always that way. And so I tell people, don't what if yourself. If you've got doubts, if you've got what ifs, then uh, compare them and see if they if those what ifs or those oppositions to owning, if they qualify on the renting side. And then, you, and then you're going to have people who just don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. with with having a home like they're they're just going to be totally fine with an apartment and it doesn't really matter what the reason is for them it's, it's just more comfortable because even though some people feel like they're tied to the home and not to the apartment they are tied to the apartment because most people are going to be under a lease agreement of some sort and if you break the lease you know there's going to be some sort of repercussions um, the landlord may charge you uh, for the remainder of the lease or or they may you know have some other repercussions for you breaking the lease early. But if you need to sell your home, uh, the hang up is finding a good enough real estate agent who can get it sold in a short amount of time. But at least from that deal, you walk away with money in your pocket. You break a lease early. You may walk away paying money to the landlord That's or true. losing your security deposit. It's interesting that you brought up the toilet comment because I and I have had I have moved 10 times and lived in three different states. So I'm at the point where I want to be buried. I'm not moving again. When you've moved that many times and gone back and forth on eight hour drives trying to see family moving gets old fast. So it was sexy to me in my 20s. It's not so sexy to me in my 30s. I'm not feeling it. But I remember having tenants that had the situation with the plumbers, especially with kids, because kids get creative and they get restless. And I remember a situation where my tub jammed twice from people above me with curious kids. Now, I cannot tell you whether the landlord, I'm sorry, I'm not, I can't tell you whether the landlord charged them. I'm assuming they did because I know enough property managers now that I know they wouldn't go for that. You're going to pay for that. But I've seen that enough times. But what was interesting to me, you said something else about having landlord. Before I moved into the condo that I purchased, I had a land. I had a. I was renting a condo, so I I took baby steps. I went from the off-campus apartment in college to a couple of apartments on my own to renting a condo to finally buying. But the condo I rented, that was what got me mildly. I won't, maybe like a very, very little where I started to understand homeowners associations. And one of the things that my landlord did at that time was she would fix, she would try to fix random things, but she would tell me, okay, like for whatever reason, she would buy really cheap blinds and then they would break. Mm -hmm. And she would say, well, if I buy blinds again, then if I get blinds again, then I'm charging you. And my thing would be like, wait, you chose to buy these cheap blinds, I didn't choose them. And she would say, well, nobody else, their blinds aren't breaking. And I'm like, one, these other people might not open their blinds every day. I'm a tree hugger. So I don't turn on lights unless I have to. If I can survive on sunlight, I'll survive on sunlight. So I was notorious for, as soon as I wake up, the first thing I do is 
look at my plants and then open <laughs> open all of the windows it's immediate it's even before i started making coffee but she would right. buy these cheap products so she knew she could these were renters they didn't have a say so and the, finally right. i just told her the next time you buy cheap blinds and i have to buy blinds that i really want when i leave i'm taking those blinds with me oh right. then it was different yeah. and then there were situations where people were complaining about noise and she said, okay, well, we can put carpet down because they had been getting constant complaints about carpet. But she wanted me to help her put the carpet down. And I said, are you going to help me roll this carpet up when I leave? Right. Then no, I'm not going to help you with carpet installation. I am a right. renter. I, you can't treat me like an owner unless you want to sell me the place. We, She and I went at it back and forth that she was one of those landlords that wanted you to act like an owner and i found that condo associations tended to have that attitude more than the traditional apartment or property manager their attitudes are a little different because they're used to working with owners but you just can't treat these two groups like they're one and the same and i got i got to the point with her where i said well, wait a minute if i'm going through all these things with you I might as well own. So, I mean, right. again, I happened to be dating that guy at that time that I was arguing with her and it, everything kind of fell in alignment at the same time. I was having problems with her. I started dating him. The coworker was buying a place. So it just seemed like it was meant to be. But you said something about condos and this was one of my hesitations with going from apartment directly to a house a single family home. Not enough people realize that there is a happy medium with condo associations. It's not just on you to take care of this home. You're working with a bunch of other owners, whether you end up in a townhouse, a, a two flat, or just in my case, there are 21 unit owners. So if something goes down, all of us team up to get repairs handled, by me joining the condo association, then I work with contractors regularly. I have never spoken to so many contractors in my life <laughs> than I have within the past three years. I don't know what in the world made me go from anti-home to condo association president and condo association treasurer. But now you, if you dump me at Home Depot, I'll stay there for hours. But <laughs> like I went from, I, but. I, I, I want to bring that up because I, I want people to understand that there is a happy medium with condos. Do you run into more people who want to be single family homeowners or do people understand that middle ground? Uh, uh, my, my, my class have been mixed. Uh, I've, I've gotten just as many condo uh, people as I have people who are wanting a uh, single family. Uh, it seems like to me, uh, in my experience, the majority of the people that I've seen that have been going into into condos um, did not have children. Okay. And so um, I'm not sure if if that was on purpose or if that just how it played out. Um, I, I do have a lot. I did have a lot of clients that have gone, you know, straight into single family and they did not have children. But it seemed like the, most of the ones who did not have children were going into condo. Mm-hmm. Um. I, me myself personally, I'm I'm not I'm not biased. I don't have a preference either or. It's just uh, it's a different living arrangement when you're in a condo. And then I encourage any of the people who are buying condos, 
go to the association meetings. A hundred percent. Go to the meetings. Because you can't complain about something that was decided at the meeting if you weren't even there to say what you wanted to say. No, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. I have I, I almost want to record that and blast it out in the yard right now. I am always baffled by the amount of owners who will complain or tenants will complain to owners who don't show up to any of the quarterly meetings, don't show up to the budget meeting, don't show up to elections, but then tell right. me all of the complaints later. Right. And it's it's astounding to me that someone can own and have so little opinion until they put a toothbrush down the toilet. <laughs> now yeah. they want to talk about the plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, why did you choose those people? And why are we paying this special right. assessment and all that? Well, we covered that yesterday at the special meeting. Why you didn't come? Exactly. Okay. Well, here the meeting minutes go. Read those. And then we'll talk about it. Exactly. So, <laughs> it's just a different living arrangement. And when you're in a con, even when you're in a single family, I encourage people, be good neighbors. Talk to your neighbors. Understand your neighborhood. Look around. It's just two different living arrangements. If you're in a condo, you, it's, this is all of y'all. So be a part of that community. And, and when you're in a single family, you're it's, it's the whole block. And so try to be as big of a part or some part of of your name, even if it's just sitting out in the yard saying hello to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, that way you kind of, you guys will feel comfortable talking to one another and if there's something that needs more than one of us to resolve, then we can feel comfortable getting together to resolve these things. I, I agree 100%. Uh, to be honest with you, you preaching to the choir right now. Because <laughs> I, I encourage people. I, it's a lot of work to be on a condo association, but it will make you understand property management in a way you, if it goes past paying the mortgage and paying the assessments. Right. Once you're on the end where you are the go-to person to hire the gardener, to hire the rooftop uh, right. person, to hire the snow removal people, the electrician, the plumbers. In our case, we had to work with the city of Chicago on building violations. So once you have to be in the thick of things, it is a fast track course that I would have never gotten before. And even if, Although I look back and wish I would have talked to my grandfather more about home ownership, and he probably could have tell, told me a lot of the things that you covered and a lot of the things that the mortgage, the, the, uh, the facilitator, loan officer brought up. It's nothing like being in it. That right. there, there, there is always going to be a little bit where you have to be pushed in the deep end to understand. All right, we are closing to an end. And I want to thank you so, so much for speaking with me. I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation. I am so (laughs) glad you are my first guest. Because without you and your training, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable closing at all. But I want other people to work with you and understand how to contact you. So please give us all of the contact information, websites and anything. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so flattered. I can't tell you. Um, so when I saw your email come through, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it. But contact me. I can be reached at my email address, which is my first initial C, and then my last name, M-E-E-K-S at H-O-D as in Delta, C as in Sam, 
www.ocmoney.org mm-hmm. or our office phone number 847-564-2900. Uh, our website is uh, hodc.org. And we also have a Facebook page. The Facebook page and the website are more so about the organization as a whole, but there will be some small blurbs about me as well. Um, if anybody wants any type of first-time homebuyer counseling or just even have a couple of questions that they wanted to ask me, please, please don't hesitate to reach I out. I just want to thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for speaking thing. with me. I really appreciate your time. Again, you are essential in me being a property owner for the first time, and I'm glad that you were my first guest. For listeners who are interested in hearing more from Homegrown, I I would love to have you be a reader of my Medium blog, which is medium.com slash homegrown. That's where you can find me talking about tenants and property owners, property managers, being on the condo association board. I will be speaking with real estate attorneys and real estate agents and just giving you the background of some of the people who were essential in what what came to be. The reason this podcast is called An Ode to Sugar Bowl Sam is obviously I had to dedicate it to my grandfather whose name is Sam and he will be very annoyed that I'm doing this but it's entertaining to me. As a child he was called Sugar Bowl Sam because his ears poked out like a sugar bowl. So <laughs> that is why the podcast is called An Old to Sugar Bowl Sam. There will be more monthly podcasts in the coming weeks. But again, I want to make sure that you guys are able to reach out to all of my guests for all of your real estate needs, whether it's home ownership, questions about mortgages or things like that. I highly encourage you to speak with the people who were influential for me, who were helpful for me. If I'm recommending them, I'm telling you right now, I will sign on the dotted line that they'll do a great job with you. So again, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate you having me.